Discussing Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek, a Star Trek podcast, an unofficial podcast about the CBS all-access series Star Trek Discovery, along with all of the other Star Trek shows on that network. Today, we're going to review episode nine of season three of Star Trek Discovery, Terra Firmer Part One. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Slash Trekkies, starting with none other than the returning, the returning cast member, the Stargate story himself, Jeremy Barrow. How you doing, man? I am doing great. I'm so glad to be back. All right. And also on the podcast, we have the Trek story, Jonathan Shorts. How you doing, man? I am fantastically well, sir. Uh-huh. How about yourself? Not bad, man. Ready to chop up this episode. And also on the podcast, we have the Who story, Cal Jones. How are you doing? You know what? I am excited to be here. I can't wait to talk about this episode. I could get into it immediately, but I'm not. But I will just say psyched to be on. Like always, we thank you for subscribing to the show. But if you want to participate a little bit more, what you can do is leave a review. Tell a friend if you have a review idea, please send that along. And with anything else you want us to know to fans at discussingtrek.com or hit us up at discussingtrek on any and all social medias. So guys, let's go ahead and get into our review of Star Trek Discovery Terra Firma Part 1. Terra Firma Part 1 is the ninth episode of Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery. It aired on December the 10th, 2020 and was directed by Omar Madha, who has an extensive television directing history, directing shows such as The Doom Patrol and The 100, to name a couple. Uh, the story was written by Bo Young Kim and Erica Lapolt and Alan B. McElroy. You know, I'm really loving what Bo Young Kim and Erica Lapolt, they're usually teamed together on a lot of these stories, but I really love what they do. <laughs> I love this one as well. So we'll get into all that. The USS Discovery crew journey to a mysterious planet in hopes of finding a cure for JoJo's deteriorating condition. Stamets and Adira make a stunning breakthrough with the newly acquired burn data spoilers red alert all hands stand the battle stations i'll give you the right you cannot destroy an idea at ease before you sprain something so before i throw it to cal jones for the story beats of this episode i just want to throw it out there to you guys how many of you have seen the tos episode city on the edge forever I have, but it's been so long that I don't remember it. Actually, I watched it about three hours ago based off of your recommendation. I'll give a quick rundown of what happens in that episode. The Enterprise, the TOS crew, tracked down some uh, gravitational shifts or eddies to a particular location. While there, <laughs> Bones kind of goes crazy from this Cortrazine injection and goes down to this planet, which is the source of these time bubbles or time pockets. He goes down to the planet. So they find this gate thing on the planet, which is called the Guardian of Forever. And basically what it is, is a time travel portal for all intents and purposes. Bones in his crazy state jumps back through the portal. They have to track them down by going through the portal as well. And we find they go to a the 20th century America. Pretty much their mission there is to get back with Bones, but while they're there, they're trying not to mess up time. 
uh, a certain person, Edith Keeler, has to die in order to keep the timeline intact. So it was all about them making sure this event happens no matter how much Kirk has fallen for Miss Edith Keeler. And, it, you know, it's a good episode to where they're kind of there with no technology, really, other than what they brought. And you see, and therefore, there for a long time, actually. And you see where Spock is kind of um, MacGyvered <laughs> a way to kind of have some technology on their side. So it's a good episode. I, I think it's a, a fan favorite from TOS. And it definitely, I think, plays into this episode. So, John, did you have any thoughts before we go ahead with the review? Uh, I'm just I'm more interested in your thoughts. I, on the opposite hand, did not really see much tie into this other than going back in time. And it may just be that it may just be that. But I will get into some of the. The tie-ins that I actually noticed from the episode. But, Cal, if you would, sir, as you always do, give us the high-level story beats of this episode. My beats are going to be just one character, and it is her most fantastic character and Imperial Majesty, Mother of the Fatherland, Overlord of Vulcan, Dominus of Quanos, Regina Andorf, Philippa, Giorgio, Augustus, Laponius, Centaurius, long may she remain on this show. Thank you. Bravo, sir. Bravo, sir. But let me say this. Uh, This is, I mean, I've gone back and watched some of the previous episodes of series past. This episode for me with this character, and this is why I think is the biggest story beat for me, was I went back and watched all of the season one episodes with her in it from mirror Giorgio to non mirror Giorgio. If it was a Giorgio episode season one, I watched it yesterday and the day before. So wow, you did it because of this episode, because of this episode. Wow. It, it was like this. I just attached to her in this episode for some reason. I wow. like, I, I've noticed that I've started liking this character, but this one, it just like solidified for me it jailed for me that you are like my she is my river song of this series <laughs> wow and here i was thinking it would have been killy <laughs> i like tilly too but still this is i don't know it just i just love this yeah cal often likes the evil female characters <laughs> <laughs> but man but but man, her journey is is kind of what this episode is all about, really. Um, wow, just amazing, if you ask me. For everyone listening, if you want to see how much the characters have grown on this show of, over the course of three series, go back and watch the first two episodes or the first three episodes of season one, and yeah. you will see how far so, so far, these characters have come in such a short time. Yeah. And actually, I have recently watched those because my plan was going into this season. I was going to go back and watch all, you know, season one and season two. I didn't quite make it through all of them just because of time. But man, the journey, the journey, man, uh, once you get here, they've definitely been through a lot and changed a lot. And it's cool going back to that first episode and seeing some of the bridge crew who were on the Shinzo at that time, 
that are still, you know, have yes. made it, have made it through really good. And also I'll say this before I go ahead and get John and Jeremy's opinion of the episode. There's actually a callback in this episode to the very first episode, the first scene of the first episode yes. where you see yes. Giorgio and Burnham walking in the desert and you just see the footsteps behind them, the footprints. Yes. He, he had almost the same scene in this episode when they were on the ice planet. Yeah. So that made me immediately like when I started this episode and I saw that scene, like I stopped it and went back to it. Cause I said, <laughs> really? I was like, there, there's, I, I know they didn't think back and say, Hey, let's do this. Like, and, and it was, it was a perfect callback, man. It really was. Yeah. That made me watch the first episode in the middle of watching this one. Yeah, man, there were so many things in this episode that made me punch the air. There was a few that made me cringe and we'll get into that. But but man, I guess I'll start. I really love this episode. I loved it for all the tie ins to the first season, as Kyle mentioned, all the callbacks, uh, seeing the growth of these characters that we've seen over these three seasons. I never thought we'd be going back to the mirror universe, but we got back there and maybe even, you know, I don't know if I loved, but we'll talk about how it kind of, I guess go back to Janeway. Don't think about it too hard. It'll hurt your brain. <laughs> That's kind of where I'm at with this episode and just the time travel. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to criticize Star Trek for a thing. I criticize Dr. Who of a lot. And that is getting time weird or confusing and, not really obeying any rules, but but we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, John, what is your high level view of this episode, man? Five. Oh, wait, no. That's <laughs> not the right part. But this, I, I love this episode, man. Absolutely love it. Uh, it was, again, a nice little, well, I wouldn't say a nice little bow on the end, but it was it was a good episode. But we kind of back to, like I said, is is when I started it, like midway through, it was like I was watching a movie. And at the end, I was sad that there was no more. Yes. <laughs> totally agreed. Jeremy, what do you think, man? Once again, I loved this episode. Um, I think Georgia probably has the best story this season of any character that, that we have. Um, I love her. I love this episode. I love everything. It was just awesome. Yeah, man. So much of this season has been about the growth of these characters so let's go ahead and talk about some of the, I guess, B and C plots of the episode. Um, something that I found fascinating is when a Cleveland Booker asked Saru to be, in so many words, be part of the crew. And where we see Saru chastise him just a little bit, in my opinion, telling him to wait for his moment to prove himself. So question to our Voyager fans here. Is Book basically going to be the Neelix of Discovery? No, <laughs> maybe. Okay, so let let's say it like this: Maybe he inherits the outsider associate, but I'm part of the crew role, not necessarily the Neelix role. Which I like Neelix, by the way. See, I was thinking more of the seven role, where you come and you have all this outsider knowledge that you bring to the crew that they can use to further their goals. Yeah, I was I was thinking more along like that lines, like Seven or Garrick on DS9, like not really part of the team, maybe really will not ever play by the same rules, but also very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think his role is probably somewhere in between of what you guys mentioned. 
I don't I think his like Neelix, I think his usefulness can probably run out pretty quickly. Um, you know, I think we've got got him gotten most of the useful knowledge from him that we're going to get already. If that makes any sense. Unless he's going to be the nog of the role of the show. Uh, I'm trying to frame that. He buys into Starfleet and like, also we know that his people are not part of the Federation per se. Uh, so maybe he enlists into Starfleet. Uh, yeah, I do think he's going to become a start a part of Starfleet eventually, but I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what they do with him. I just hate for him to be as unimportant as Neelix. <laughs> I don't want to say Neelix was unimportant. Oh, Neelix man. was needed on Voyager. Like, you needed that emotional support and that comic relief somewhat. So, but in the grand scheme of things, like, eh, you know. Neelix took the job of several people and turned it into one. I guess he was you more know, like important cook. than, uh, You know, he did. He was a cook. He was the morale officer. He did. They're important, yes, but not vital. Yeah. I mean, you can easily do without Neelix. You just have several other people doing those those parts. Well, sad, though. We would have missed Neelix more than we would have missed Ensign Kim. Yeah, that's oh, true. how dare you? No, we wouldn't have. How dare you? <laughs> just kidding. Another one of the B-plots is Adira's decryption of the signal, which finished, and Stamets quickly instructs Adira to find the captain, Captain Saru. So we find a ship at the source of the burn in the Verubin Nebula was a Kelpian vessel, the KSF Keith. Saru is kind of smitten by the research scientist, Dr. Issa. Any any thoughts on this whole sequence and maybe any other theories that you might have about what's going on here? Not really. So this was the unneeded part of the show to me. Like, I, I get it. I think they were just trying to keep this overall plot going so that we don't forget about it. But I think it was just a stepping stone. Yeah. I hate to say that like that, but... That sounds oddly familiar. <laughs> it just it, it, To me, it, it, it didn't provide any furthering information well, other than there's Kelpians there. The only thing I could theorize, since there's a lot of mirror universe things going on, maybe the fact that they're stuck there may have something to do with a mirror universe person. Only mm-hmm. way I can see them making that important. So what I found interesting about this whole um, this deciphering this distress call is that um, they were going to that um, Verubian Nebula to investigate a a dilithium nursery, which I'm not sure what a dilithium nursery is, but that's the whole reason they were going to that place. And this is a source of the burn. And they were going to this place before the burn happened. You know, they were there before the burn happened. So again, we don't really know what caused it, but it, I don't know. It was interesting to me that that we got the little bit of information that, that that was a dilithium nursery at the source. Be interesting to see how they play all of that out. Let's get into some of the main plot line of the episode and let's just take it from the top. So we start with the Culber and Kovic uh, discussion of Giorgio in which Kovic immediately states that a cure will not be found, you know, in this universe. He brings up the hollow of 
Lieutenant Commander Yor, who we learn is a time tra- a time soldier. Apparently, Yor traveled from 2379 across from an alternate universe, a Kelvin timeline. I'm, I'm surmising <laughs> created by the temporal recursion of a Romulan mining ship, a.k.a. Star Trek 2009. Any any thoughts on all of that? That whole sequence? I mean, it was a neat little Easter egg, but I don't often understand how a different time travel works. So I just kind of run with it. I hate time stuff. <laughs> I, that, that's that's it. I just, <laughs> listen these time episodes. Which when you suggested we watch the uh, City on the Edge of Forever, and I realized it was a time episode, I kind of lost interest at that point. Oh man, Cal describes time stuff best. So let me counter that. I love time episodes. <laughs> I just really <laughs> of love you do. time episodes. I thought this was a real cool callback, and it made me wonder, are they going to somehow say that she's something maybe from the Kelvin universe? I don't know. but uh. I, Or maybe it was just like uh, an Easter egg, like Jeremy said, but I like time episodes. This is cool. Yeah, I do too, but I can't. <laughs> you know, at first, well, let me let me say this. Let me say this. I really loved the 2009 Trek reboot movies. I thought they were all cleverly done in a way that brings these new actors in a portrayal of these same characters we know from, you know, the 60s into into the Star Trek universe. I really love that. But now that I look back and with the inclusion of this episode, I find it very problematic. <laughs> I find it problematic in that especially when we're in at this point, we're talking about alternate universes, but the Kelvin timeline really shouldn't be an alternate universe. It should be the universe. You know, if you go by the logic of the 2009 Kelvin uh, timeline movie, then every time they make a jump in time and change something that spurs an alternate universe, right? A multiverse. Yeah. it, it It spurs a multiverse going forward. If that's the case, how can they ever, travel to uh, the place they're trying to get. You see what I'm saying? If that, I don't know if that makes any sense. It does. Because, because we really haven't talked about going to alternate universes other than going to the, the mirror universe in Star Trek so far. I'm sure it's been discussed in books and other things, but not so much in the main television show. Yeah, well, well they break their own rules is what I'm saying. Once you, once you do the 2009 movie where a past change alters the future, you start to break your own rules if you're going backward and forward in time, I, I could give you that. And I'm going to give you I'm going to give you an explanation that's going to make you roll your eyes. How about that? OK, go ahead. I know it's coming. Go ahead. OK, so the, all these ships have AIs on them, right? Yes. All right. So maybe their AIs are programmed to take them not where they want to go, but where they need to go. Oh, God. <laughs> Cheers. <sighs> um, But but. Yeah, I mean, so by that logic, you would think if they're going into the future to save the future, that that timeline where everything was was destroyed still exists somewhere. Right. I don't know. I just I know you can't understand time is something for the television show as an invention to make it ex- interesting. But once you start to kind of dig into how it works on Star Trek, I start to again, Janeway said it best. So I guess there's no need for me to quibble about <laughs> what's going on all right well we see where emperor Giorgio's hand is phasing in and out in the mess hall 
right before we start to see her, I'm going to call it acting out, you know, um, using her tongue and her actions to kind of get past this debilitating point or period that she's in. So, uh, Jeremy, let's talk about Tilly trying to console Giorgio. Just an idiotic move. Yes. And she knew it was a, she knew it wasn't going to do any good when she did it, but because she's Tilly and that's what she does, that's what she did. Yeah. But still, but still, but I know what she was going for. And I appreciate, you know, her first officer position, she has to console her, her crew and make sure they're functioning as a will arm machine. And, and that's kind of what she's doing, I guess. Jeremy um, just cringed when you said first <laughs> officer. <laughs> oh, he was out for those reviews. <laughs> Conveniently. <laughs> Don't hate, man. So listen, I thought this would have been, and maybe it's for a reason, but I thought the uh, writers missed a golden opportunity to develop Tilly as the first officer here. You, you get it? Like I, I was half expecting not for her to like totally control the situation, but I was kind of hoping this particular scene she would have manned up a little bit. Exactly. Well, I mean, you know, I fully agree with that. Well, she was trying to console her crew. I, I get that, but and that I do, I get that. But when the consolation was basically thrown back in her face literally <laughs> yeah i thought maybe this would have been a time for her to this should have been first officer tilly and not ensign tilly right yeah she should have backed i see what you're saying but but again like she's going through some stuff so you wouldn't just instantly instantly be mad at someone that's you know it's going through something so i mean i i get i can see why she didn't you know, well, not get mad, but she should have, you know, like, listen, Georgia, <laughs> you yeah. obviously need some help. And you are right now disturbing our crew while they're trying to get some relaxation and eat. So if you don't want my help and you don't want anyone else's help, please take your dinner to your quarters. Dang, preach. But I don't think that's what was needed at the moment. What, what, <laughs> I mean, and that was obvious, the obvious situation. Georgia was like really making everybody uncomfortable. So when I seen Tilly sit down, which I think she had that right idea that she needed to make an uncomfortable situation a little more comfortable or a little better. I think that was her intention. And, you know, I I get it. She failed at that. But I was hoping she would have been a little stronger in the failure, if that makes sense. So, Jonathan, I agreed with you 100 percent up until the point of where you said what she may should have said. I, again, I agreed with you 100% up to that point. I really think that as far as the character goes, if I'm looking at it from a character's perspective, I think she looked at it as how is the best way to help Giorgio, but also dissolve or whatever uh, this um, de-escalate this situation, and which was for her not to do- say anything and let Barnum, who she had a connection with, step in. Well, let's talk about Michael Burnham trying to console Giorgio, where she gets pimp slapped while they're in the training facility. <laughs> so, so Kyle, any 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 thoughts on the 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 Giorgio pimp slap of Burnham? I mean, too much because she no, really she really went for. Her. No, I really don't. I I have to look at it from, and that's why I wanted to go back to the very first episode and see 
the brief appearance that we got of the original, you know, this version, Giorgio. And I, I don't see it as anything wrong with that. Put yourself in her shoes. She's living in a universe, number one, that is exactly opposite of everything that she's known, where logic and kindness and civility rules, whereas in what she's grown up in, cruelty, hate, uh, power, stabbing each other in the back, violence is the norm for her. I just thought she was acting out as a person. So no, while do I like the fact that she did it? No, I don't. But I think it was natural for her. Yeah. I think this is the point in the episode we really start to see, or we see them start to talk about, you know, how much the prime universe has changed, Giorgio. And, you know, we'll see a lot more of that later. Um, there was a lot of dialogue I found very curious from that conversation she had with Burnham, uh, where she says, lead me to my death, Angel Michael. And that just rung a bell in my head. I don't know what it means, but it just seems too weird to not be placed there on purpose for some reason. I 100% agree with you. Like, as soon as she said it, I immediately thought Red Angel yeah. and all that. I was like, hmm, I wonder what she hinting at that or were the writers kind of throwing that in there to say, hey, remember? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I I, I, I really would have loved that fight scene, though. <laughs> it would have been good. <laughs> it Hopefully been it's good. coming. Because this would have been a completely different fight scene. The first time you had the Burnham-Giorgio fight scene, Burnham was probably a little more afraid of her. Yeah. Now she's more comfortable and knows her a little better. That would have been an amazing fight scene. And obviously, yeah. Giorgio thought so. Because in this scene, I kind of took it as... Georgia was looking for a way out and Burnham killing her would be the honorable way out. If you look at it kind of like an honor queen on type thing. So obviously uh, Georgia thinks Burnham is, can handle her somewhat. Yeah, definitely echoes to what we see later on in that episode in that conversation between uh, Colbert and Kovich. He runs a, they run a diagnostic and Zora indicates a cure can be found on a planet called Dennis five. Uh, which is just shy of the Gamma Quadrant and near the Galactic Realm. I don't know if I've ever heard of Galactic Realm before, um, but anyway, be that as it may. And Giorgio has a 5% rate of survival if she goes to that planet. You know, again, our sentient computer species using the Karen entity data. Zora uh, is giving a suggestion here, uh, which Saru says is possibly her just taking care of her crew. So, but in that moment, Saru dis- dismisses the idea, but Vance overrides his decision. Is that a bit strange? You know, I kind of like part of me wants to agree with Saru's assessment of the, not necessarily his decision, but his assessment of the situation. Because if the Emerald Chain is doing their their military games or what have you, then yeah, that's probably going to take precedence over one crew member. These so are I, I understand what you know where he was coming from. So I understand what he wanted to appear that he was coming from. But here's my thought, and it said two thoughts on that. So number one, on my thought on Saru, number one, he's fighting with the whole decision he made back on Book's planet 
Um, and as we continue to say, Saru just has a hard time operating in those gray areas. Yeah. And, you know, he kind of made a bad call once. So I think this is just all growth as Saru as a character. I don't think he necessarily wanted to dismiss it like that, but he thought that that was the right call to make, especially with the Admiral there. Now, as far as I, what I didn't like about this scene, I hated that the Admiral kind of pulled the rug from underneath his feet. Like, yeah. I think maybe that should have been a private conversation and then Saru made a change in call. I get why the Admiral did it and he made perfect sense in his explanation, but to do it in front of your crew like that just kind of knocks Saru down a couple of notches. Mm. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I just overall saw that more as a teachable moment for Saru and it goes into something I've heard over and over. Do Are you a manager of people? Or are you a leader of people? And I think right. that that was him trying to teach Saru, you, you do this and you will be managing your crew. You do this and you will lead them because they will follow you. Yeah. And it's the first time I've seen Vance have a true teachable moment in this series that I can think of so far. He really gave Saru a good pointer in a sense of if if your crew sees you let somebody on the crew die, they're not going to look at you again the same way. You know, I made the mistake. So I really I really love that Vance uh, had a teachable moment there. And, you know, hopefully we get more of that from him, because up to this point, I don't think we've gotten much of that. He's been more secretive, in my opinion. So I, I love seeing him get a little personal, talk about his own experience a bit and kind of, you know, push Saru in the right direction. So I guess I was fine with it. And then again, we have another example of why Saru really should be the admiral. Like that call that Saru made initially would be an admiral's call. That's what an admiral would say. Yeah. And the captain, a good captain, would be would say what Vance said. Yeah, I think you're right. Huh. Vance would make an awesome captain, by the way. So before we see Giorgio depart for the planet, she gets a bio reading monitor, which I don't think I even saw that when she was in the mirror universe later. I don't remember seeing it. So who knows if she still has it? Although Carl said she would. She does. She covered it up. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah, she hid it under her sleeve. So that's good. That's good. That's good. Because that lets me know it's not a dream sequence. It's actually happening. But, you know, I love when she mentions to Saru before actually leaving for the planet. From where I'm from, we're the prime and you are the mirror. I just thought that was a nice touch that I haven't heard anyone really express uh, at, at that moment. And, you know, I love that she get, gives Saru a huge amount of respect in that moment, which, you know, they, they could have put that in there just because of what we we're going to see a little bit later. But, you know, she gives Saru and she gives Tilly a hug and didn't beat her up. <laughs> I guess I guess uh, Tilly wore her down like Urkel or something. Can we really say she gave Tilly a hug? No, Tilly, well, Tilly gave her gave the her hug, hug and then she didn't like stab her regardless of it. <laughs> but again, yeah. I go back to character uh, growth because this is the emperor. You've touched the emperor. You go back to those series one episodes and you off with your head captain tilly (laughs) captain (laughs) killy so they beam down to the planet 
Uh, again, we talked about the scene, scene of them walking in the snow, which, you know, felt like a callback to the very first episode, the very first scene of the very first episode. So let's talk about Carl. And my question to you guys is, and I guess I'll throw this to Jonathan first, is Carl a Q or a guardian of forever? So that's kind of what I thought you were going for when you referenced the TOS episode that maybe it was the guardian forever. But when I watched this episode and even after watching the TOS episode, I'm still leaning to Q just for the fact, you know, on that TOS episode, I mean, it just seemed very the guardian stone, quote unquote. Uh, it just seemed very cut and dry programmed <clears throat> to do one job type thing. And even thousand years in the future, I don't see that being any more personal. On the other hand, we have Carl, who and I mean, other than looking different and a different name, like if you had closed your eyes and listened, you would have swore it was a cue. You know what I mean? Like the same whimsical, playful, jokingly, like this is a very serious moment that you're making light of because it's an omnipotent being that's seen everything, knows everything and is bored. That's just kind of how he was playing this part. Like I just it it reeked of Q to me. Does anyone else have thoughts? Q or Guardian? Um, not knowing who the Guardians are. <laughs> I'm going to have to say Q only because, you know, you know, Q's test people. They And this seemed like it was a test of some sort. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to go with the Q type being uh, I'm, I, that 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 just feels more natural to me. And right. if you go back to a TNG episode that we reviewed called Tapestry, Q kind of forced when Picard was having issues, he kind of forced Picard to go back and relive his prior mistakes and turning points in his life. I'm not saying this is closely resembled to that, but I mean, it just kind of sets precedence of Q getting involved to kind of direct somebody to make them better. All right. Well, let me give the arguments of why this is almost most certainly uh, the guardian of forever. And um, I'm going to throw out all my, I didn't even really think about this, but this is, Thanks to uh, Tasha Pierce and After the Snap, which you should definitely follow on YouTube. Uh, her tribe called Trek, which she calls it. <laughs> Check her out over there. But if you start with that newspaper, let's start with the newspaper, first of all, that the that call is holding. The name of that newspaper is the Star Dispatch, which ironically enough is the same name of the newspaper that you see in uh, City on Edge Forever. Definitely a call back there. And even if you um, look, he turns the paper over to the back at one point and there's a reference to good soup as a title in the paper as well. And that's the name of Edith Keeler's kitchen uh, outreach, outreach kitchen in the episode Mm. is good soup. And (laughs) well, I guess those are the main ones, but it is definitely that newspaper kind of ties in. Now, I do see the differences here, whereas in the TOS episode, uh, it was basically that, you know, rock looking portal portal again, which we do see in this episode. But it was disembodied voice. You don't see anybody walking around, um, you know, and and the portal looks much different um, than it looks here. Look more Twilight Zone here than it did in the, the City of the Age of Forever. Um, so there's definitely references in the newspaper. 
And on the newspaper, we see where they they are pronouncing that Giorgio is dead. Mm-hmm. And in the episode City on Edge Forever, uh, Edith Keeler has to die. That is what has to happen. Uh, but on it, from them being in the past and their research of how they've changed things, they find out that it's a possibility that she might not die. And her not dying causes this domino effect of bad things to happen. And I think maybe even Starfleet not even existing <laughs> if, if you know, this event happen, doesn't happen like it should. So, yeah, yeah, Edith Keeler had to die. And we see where they are proclaiming that Giorgio is dead on this paper. Now, it could just be re- loose references and it could definitely be a Q and not the Guardian. But I do think, you know, they're either they're purposely throwing us off here or it is a Guardian. Or... So on the City of the Edge of Forever, the stone did say reference in one line that he was it was created. So basically referring basically saying that someone else created it. So what if the Q created that stone? And in this particular scene that is a Q, the door is the stone. Could be. Could be. But I, think there's- I have a I have an interesting wager for you, Clarence, because I don't think so. But let's wager a bottle of clean on blood wine, twenty three fifty. <laughs> it's only fifty five dollars uh, on Star Trek dot com. Oh, boy. You're like putting my foot to the fire on this. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, let's do it. Hear ye, hear ye. So shall it be done. <laughs> uh, yeah. The first but- bottle of blood wine to be wagered in this year. <laughs> There's also a TAS episode, an animated series episode that talks about this that I haven't seen. And there's several books that actually explore this same, uh, you know, the this as well. So um, The Guardian of Forever. And also there is one book and I read this. I didn't read the book. I just read the line where someone asks Q about it, about the uh, Guardian of Forever. And he makes the statement, oh, been there, done that. You know, hmm. so who knows what's going on? Who knows? So let's go ahead and get into actually walking through that door or that portal. Uh, oh, what was the what was the joke? What do you call a cute portal? Adorable. <laughs> <laughs> that's nothing but cute, man. Yeah, that's what I was <laughs> thinking. Yeah, riddles like cute. Definitely, man. So, yeah, I don't I don't know, man. I don't know. But let's go ahead and get into the. Mirror universe itself. And as to as, as what I said at the moment when she walked through their portal, I was like, what the fuck? What the huh? <laughs> we haven't seen the mirror universe since season one. And wow, I loved it. <laughs> what, about you guys? what did y'all think of the mirror universe? I'll start with you, Cal. Oh, just, you know, I never realized that I liked it until I came back to it. And I didn't like it because it, was the mirror universe. I think I liked it because it showed me how much Giorgio had really changed being yeah. put back into that same, you know, scenario again. And I think that can be equated to our real world. Take any of us and take us out of a familiar situation and insert us back into it X number of months slash years slash decades later, we're not going to be the same. We're not going to fit in like we did. Yeah. And we definitely get to see the positive growth from 
uh, Mira, Emperor Giorgio. Yes. Uh, in this entire sequence, uh, Jeremy, I know I chatted with you a couple of days ago and you were ecstatic about this. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Mirror Universe revisiting it? You know, I wasn't a huge fan of the Mirror Universe the first time around, but this time around, it is just great. I, I just just seeing the the cutthroatness of it, of it all, I guess that we didn't get to see last time, or that we, that I feel like we didn't get to see enough of last time. You know, they just started out with it, and they kept it going. It was it was great. I loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it written down here. About five or six times. Love, 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 love. <laughs> Jonathan, what about you, man? Any any thoughts on the Mirror Universe as a whole? And we'll dig into dig into some of the details in just a bit. Uh, so I've never really been a huge fan of the Mirror Universe episodes, other than it kind of the main reason I've liked them is because it just like the holodeck episodes. It gives our actors a chance to do something else. A different costume, different makeup, a different character altogether. So that's always good to see. But in this particular instance, like I think this is probably the most detailed time and the longest amount of time spent in a mirror universe. And I actually loved it. Like I'm all for a spinoff of, and I know we got a lot of spinoff wishes, <laughs> but I'm all for a mirror universe spinoff. That maybe features George O. Yeah, mm. go ahead, Kyle. Now I was just gonna say I'm, I want her to stay where she's at. <laughs> I'm happy with her <laughs> where she's at. But I mean, yeah, I see well, your point. Yeah, and I guess what we did mention up top is that Colbert mentions that, and and Kovic for that matter, that George O is out of time and in the wrong universe. And you know, one of those things is fine in most cases, but two of them is almost. Assured destruction, as as they made example with Core Commander Core, um, at at the top of the episode. So, with that being said, her being here for me, I agree with Kyle in the sense that all of this growth that we've seen from her ever since she came back over to the Prime Universe at the end of season one, up until now, and seeing her placed back in that, you know. But back in this same scenario that she's lived through. And of course, we didn't see this before, but we we we're, we think or we're imagining that she was so different <laughs> in that time. It's almost certain that she was so different in that time. And it's just interesting to see her mindset as she goes through these scenarios that she's already played out. But just being a totally 100 percent different person. And the growth she's had with Michael so far, um, you know, a different type of growth than what she had with the 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 mirror, Michael, certainly. And one that seem seemingly lets her see the potential of what Michael can be and that love that she has for her. And she doesn't want to kill her. You know, she just can't think of that. You know, she doesn't it just doesn't compute with her <laughs> anymore. And, and, and it, it, it doesn't stop at Michael, even to seeing, you know, even though she just used Saru as her servant, I feel like her mentioned the uh, Vaharai and things that she didn't, didn't even know about before. And she used to eat these guys, but they didn't know about the Vaharai, you know. <laughs> so you can. Is she are they right? Is she weaker? Yes. But she's better. In my well, opinion. I'm not, wouldn't necessarily. 
she's better as a person, but in the Terran universe, I don't think it's better. Huh. Unless from I mean, and when we get into the teaser for the next episode, but unless she can change the entire alternate universe. Well, you said alternate, so let me ask you, do we think from her going back into the mirror universe and acting differently, do you think we've set up a Kelvin style alternate mirror universe now? Hmm. No. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I love the Kelvin timeline movies and all that, but I purposely set that far, far apart from what I watched in the prime timeline and our regular trick. Like I, I, on principle, I just do not associate anything because it just confuses things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we have so much information on one timeline and then you throw in this little Kelvin timeline that throws all of that into chaos. And I just it's hard for me to enjoy this and other trick if I try to tie in facts and happenings in the Kelvin timeline. So and sin is how I hate time stuff in general. And I hate time stuff in general for the fact that if you try to justify everything and keep everything straight, it just makes it confusing and unenjoyable in my, in my opinion. So I'm not going to say they're setting up an alternate timeline. I'm still looking at it as a binary thing here. I don't know, we, but we know some things have to happen for the events of season one to happen correctly, though. I, I don't think I don't. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm not understanding your question. Like, I think this is the same universe that we visited when we when Lorca came back across when you had that first fight with Giorgio and well, Emperor Giorgio and the Prime Burnham. Like, yeah, this, well, I, this is I'm, the same I'm, terror. Terran universe. Yeah, I I do too, but I think it could be, but I'm just saying some things have changed already that could possibly be altering altering things. We don't know if Burnham's going to die or not, which I will say, huge caveat, in the comics, Burnham didn't die. Giorgio didn't kill her because she pops up in the Secession comics later. I don't, That's they probably write that out, but be that as it may. But looking just at the show itself, Stamets died a lot earlier. Um, If you look at this version of events, so I guess it just kind of depends on how you personally call it. Like, yes, things are changing, but it's not making a new universe, like just a brand new universe. It's making the same Terran universe we know different. Yes, but not a new universe altogether. Like, it'll be a newly formed. <laughs> See, that gets back to the thing I said at the very beginning. I think Kelvin, the Kelvin universe kind of messed up how time works in Star Trek. And see, don't right. for, and don't forget there's this option, and I know we kind of dismissed it or said we hope this is not it, maybe at the beginning as well, but I'm sitting here and I'm listening to you guys talking, and don't forget that there's this other option that this may just be something that was created to help Giorgio assimilate to where she is now, and it's not really real. Right. Because no one has said this is the other universe. Because, I mean, Kovic has already said the two, the alternate universes have been spreading further and further apart over the past 900 years and how hard it is to get to the other. So, I mean, there's no reason to think that 
she just jumped to the other one this easily. But I mean, we are talking about maybe Q and a a fancy rock. But um, yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, I I do like some more tidbits of of being in the mirror universe. I love that we got a little more explanation of where Michael came from. Mentioning talk speaking of a rock, Jojo uh, says she found Burnham on some rock where she was dominating the other people there. Uh, I guess the other kids there is what I'm assuming. Not just a rock, a trash heap. A trash heap. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love them filling in that little bit of data. I thought that was real cool. And kind of what I get from all of this that we've seen so far in this version of the Mirror Universe is that Burnham is just freaking stone cold, man. I love her. <laughs> I absolutely love this Burnham, man. It, like, she is awesomeness in this in this role like in stone cold absolutely absolutely yeah dude i punched a freaking arrow when i saw landry i was like landry's back rica sharper she's awesome though i do think she had some cheesy lines <laughs> clumsy bastard oh yeah that was her <laughs> yeah and, and, then, and then like i think it was another that was those three cheesy parts of the episode when she said that when uh, Reese gets knocked down when him and Owasakan is fighting. That fight was awesome, by the way. Yes, it was. <laughs> and after the fight, like Ledger goes up and kicks him. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. It reminded me like Vader kicking the Obi Wan cloak at the end of the movie. <laughs> it was like. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then there was a moment when Burnham got mad at Saru and like knocked the wine glass out of his hand. You know, it's a weird seeing them trying to portray these super mad people. <laughs> you know, which is not their mo, which I guess what makes it fun. <laughs> so I loved all of that. Oh yeah, and we see the christening of the USS Karen, which is is I thought that was just awesome. And Kyle, what did what did you think about this? You know, Giorgio focused play that we got. I thought it was cool. And again, I'm like so into it by then that I don't even go and see how much time I've got left in the uh, episode, and then I get ticked off whenever it gets to the end, and like, oh wait, this is the end. So yeah. I, I thought it was cool. Poor Stamets, man. He's been stabbed twice in this series. <laughs> but he's yeah. deserved it every time, so it's kind of hard to do. <laughs> His family is cursed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, he, he bit the dust. Any, any other thoughts on this play we got at the end, which I thought was cool. And I thought the whole notion that we're there to Christian the Karen as a new flagship uh, was pretty awesome. Yeah, and I like the whole poetic story of Giorgio's uh, coming to be emperor that Stamets put on. That was pretty good. And yeah. I'm not one usually for theatrical stage play type things, but this was pretty good for what it was. All right, so let me ask you guys something real quick. And this just popped into my head, and this is going to further my thought that this isn't real as what's happening. So we know that Giorgio went to our universe why didn't they when she returned and if they explain this please you know enlighten me but why didn't they when she returns or she's there did they just not immediately go where have you been you know i kind of questioned that when she first stepped through the doors and they welcomed her but i guess kudos to the writers because i like completely just stopped worrying about it but you're absolutely right i don't think they really explained it or did or, they just put her into a situation? Did she just like mentally go back into a previous version of herself, maybe? 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely can be this entity putting her where she needed to be. But yeah, that kind of breaks the illusion if you think about how does she get in this perfect position or switch places with, um, well, no, there is no other because it's her. <laughs> you know, I think how I justified it is like she, they put her back into a position where, you know, in that exact timeline, she had left that ship for whatever reason yeah, on a mission and just came back because she didn't. She made it a point not to really make it seem like she had been gone. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think they're just kind of thinking she she was gone off the ship for something and came back. Like so whatever timeline she was put back into was purposely put right at the time where she would have been returning from a mission she had gone on. Yeah. Well she was arriving there for the christening of the the Karen. So she was supposed to be arrive there, but yeah, just how she got there may have been a little bit confusing. And if we're going to take for that matter, I have to lean back to you John with the whole Q theory. Because when you think of uh, what's the name of the episode, uh, Tapestry, he was just like in that body. You know, he was just there inhabiting his old self. And it feels more like that versus time travel, you know. So one statement, and I guess we can end on this kind of, I guess, semi supports my theory that maybe an alternate universe or it could just be a dream. But. Giorgio makes a statement to Burnham. As of this moment, our future is unwritten. Let's make it count, shall we? So that to me, that's directly saying that we can change it. And we I guess at this point, we could talk about the next on preview that we got in the episode where it very much looks like Giorgio is attempting to rehabilitate Michael. (laughs) Wow, that's a heck of a turn of events. (laughs) Well, yeah, I, I definitely believe she's trying to change this universe uh, and make it better. Like, I, I really do. But, I mean, God, that will take some doing. Yeah. Because, no, I mean, unless you uh, get into, like, the lesser beings rallying around Georgia and having enough power to take over. But, I mean, it's... It's like somebody coming to Earth now and saying, you guys doing it all wrong. We should be mean to everybody and kill everybody and do it all. Like, it'd be hard for them to change this entire planet, let alone this entire galaxy, to go along with that. Where You know what I mean? Yeah. And on top of that, Kovic has already told Giorgio that Terrans are genetically predisposed to evil. Mm. So unless he was lying to her, which is definitely is possible. Mm-hmm. I think he knows more than he's telling us, <laughs> basically. So oh, what, absolutely. So what if it is on a quantum scale, the old saying that we've heard over and over and over, you, you are the company you keep, meaning that the longer she has stayed in the positive universe, the more she has assimilated, for lack of a better word, to to her environment. Yeah. So basically the nurture, the nature, the nurture, not nature argument, I guess. Basically. Is what you say there. But she was forced to that. You know what I mean? Like, she didn't have any support. She was just her against the entire galaxy. So she had to adapt. Now, you put that into the Terran universe, the mirror universe. I don't think it's enough of what she's changing to, to change the rest of the universe. No, and I don't hmm. think she could change the rest of the universe. But she's definitely changed because of that, for sure. 
Yeah. Doesn't mean she's not going to try. We'll see, man. I don't know. I just, man, I love, I just love seeing it is like we mentioned up top. It's good to see the journey from, from, uh, Giorgio slash Michelle, Michelle Yo. I just love that actor and this character and just where she's come over the years and, you know, revisiting, revisiting that and seeing, you know, where it all started. It's just, it's just been really awesome to see her in this episode, kind of have her own episode. So really loving that. But any other takeaways from this episode before we start to wrap things up here, guys, you know, if we don't see Lorca in the next episode, I'm going to be very pissed. (laughs) They name dropped him plenty of times, man. Oh yeah. Uh, Which was great. What happened to Lorca? He died, right? But he died at the events after the events that we're in. Oh, okay. Did, did we ever know what happened to prime Lorca? No. Well, he's in some cell in the Terran universe. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. So he's he's there somewhere. Oh, uh, well, maybe we'll see him because we know we're taking Burnham to the Agonizer, which I think that's where we last seen the Prime Lorca, right? Well, we haven't seen the Prime Lorca at all <laughs> in the series. No, I'm saying, but the last time we... Wait, no. Yeah, you're right. Okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. I get it. I get it. He's somewhere in the Terran universe in some cell. That's like the last line of, of uh, one of the books that the pocket novels that came out. So, yeah, uh, that, that's it. I guess we wrap up. Um, let's go around the horn and um, get everybody's rating for the episode. And Jeremy, let's start with you, man. I'm going to go with five. Wow. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that needs to be the name of this episode. Jeremy rates it a five. <laughs> is it the first one I've rated a five? Yes. Oh, wow. Somebody's been keeping up with me. What about you, John? Five. Absolute oh, yeah. five. Hey, I'll take wow. it, man. I, if, to make it a little different, I'll say 5.5, which is off the scales. Cal <laughs> Jones. Okay. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm going to... Uh, even though you said five is all I'm getting, I'm going to give it a five point Emperor Giorgio. So there you go. Oh, wow. Wow. I will give it uh, five Landry saying clumsy bastard. Yeah. Great episode, man. I really enjoyed it. And man, watching it the second time, I had just as much fun, maybe more. Um, just, I don't know. I hope this it ends as good as it started, but from the preview I've seen, I, I, it, it feels like it's keeping up that same energy. So, yeah, I'm loving it, man. I'm loving it. It almost felt like this was two episodes put together because there was a lot of stuff before we actually got to the mirror universe. And when we got there, they kept hitting us with all of this, all these tie ins and this backstory of Burnham, which, you know, I just felt was great. And the pacing was so great that it kept it moving quickly, 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 and made you feel like you just said you watched a movie in 40 minutes. All right. So let's go around the horn and see what everybody has been watching, listening to besides Star Trek uh, podcast later or otherwise. And let's start with you, John. What about you, man? What what have you been into lately? Not much, man. Not much. I'm still going on a watching Enterprise over again. So that's good. And anxiously awaiting Expanse season five. So that's about what I'm doing preparing for Christmas. Awesome sauce. What about you, Jeremy? So there are two things. Um, SG one is now back on Netflix. So it's much easier for me to get a hold of. Unfortunately, the West wing is leaving Netflix this month. So I'm trying to watch that again before it goes <laughs> to HBO. I think HBO max. 
So I'm kind of torn between, you know, politics and sci-fi. Oh, HBO Max is going to be a beast next year. Oh, yeah, with the new announcements of all the first-run movies coming for 30 days. Yeah, it's going to be pretty fantastic. Which we have HBO Max, but it's I'm not the big fan of their interface. Cal Jones, what about you, man? Oh, let's see. What am I watching? Well, as I was watching right before we got ready to record, and for everyone who's listening and has heard us mention Doctor Who, tomorrow we will be recording a review of for an upcoming episode of one of my all-time favorite Doctor Who episodes, A Good Man Goes to War. And Clarence, just to kind of give you a fair warning, usually I have two pages of notes. I already have four and a half, so FYI. Oh, my God. I guess I should watch it again, huh? Yeah, yeah it might be a <laughs> might be a good thing to do. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a fun review. I can't wait for that one. It's going to be fun. So for me, my shout out is if you have Amazon Prime, there is a series out now called Small Axe. Axe is an AXE, which is a collection of five films. Uh, so Small Axe is um, films by this director named Steve McQueen. That are set in the 1960s to the mid-1980s, and it tells stories of London's West Indian community whose lives have been shaped by their own force of will despite rampant racism and discrimination. So it it's a good series. I really enjoy it. Uh, the first episode called Mangrove stars uh, Letitia Wright, along with other great actors, but you know her as playing Siri on Black Panther. The third episode actually has John Boyega in it. So yeah, these are mostly stories focused around race again in the uh this this London community. But I found all of them really cool, really thought provoking and interesting, especially for me specifically, you know about the the race stuff that happened in America because we're here in America, but it's interesting to see what how it went down in other parts of the world in this instance, London. So yeah, I, I found all that really interesting. And if you have Amazon, I definitely suggest you check it out. All right, guys, we're ready to wrap things up. As always, if you want to send in feedback to the show, you can send it in at fans at discussing or hit us at discussing Trek on any and all social medias. I'll give another shout out real quick again to after the snap on YouTube which is a YouTube channel which talks all about all of these episodes as well and theories and much more. So check that out. Friend of the show, Tasha Pierce. And with that said, guys, we're going to wrap this up. And until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. If you're interested in obscure and little-seen sci-fi television, you might enjoy our podcast, Continuum Drag. 
we're a recap and review podcast watching science fiction TV and TV movies from the 60s to now. We've covered Galactica 1980, Almost Human, The Quester Tapes, Space Above and Beyond, Genesis 2, Tech War, Planet of the Apes, and many more. You can get Continuum Drag wherever you get podcasts. Discussing Network. Michael Burnham, personal log recorded under security encryption Gamma. After six months, Mother, the Emperor, has returned to Discovery a changed woman. Uncertain. Embarrassing. Weaker than ever, cowering behind her pompous new Imperial flagship. Even those who once supported her can no longer deny that her time has passed. She spared a Kelpian's life. Publicly. What is the point of crushing a slave rebellion if none other than the Emperor herself shows mercy to slaves? And if our enemies heard of this? Obviously that cannot be permitted. Mother taught me better than that, back when she had a spine. I'll have to accelerate my timetable. She's left me no other choice. Not that I mind. The sooner she's gone, the better.